On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we unpack the U.S. under-23 men's national team's latest olympic size failure, and we examine Sergio Aguero's impending departure from Manchester City. Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark, along with Marcus. And Marcus, it's... First, how are you doing on this lovely Wednesday afternoon? Great. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. I, I am happy that uh, we, we have taken a, a couple days here to digest the United States U23s missing out on the Olympics once again. Because I will do my best to not just go on some rants that uh, nobody wants to hear. And we're going to try and provide some intelligent thoughts about what went down in Mexico this past couple of weeks. But, you know, in case you haven't heard yet, the U23 squad missed out on Tokyo 2020, technically taking place in 2021, when they lost to Honduras 2-1 to one in the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying uh, semifinals. Since then, Mexico has gone on and won the competition. They went 5-0, and winning all their matches. But yeah, I mean, I think just off the bat, before you say anything else, it's just a massive disappointment. I think, you know, it, when we entered the competition and looking at the player pool as a whole, it seems as though things, and I still believe this, that the players are, are better, that things are trending upward. But at the same time, we knew all of the situations with, you know, this clearly not being the best representation of under 23 talent for the United States. And not just with the players in Europe that were held back, but there were some MLS based players that were unable to go for various reasons. It, it wasn't the number one roster, I guess you'd say, but certainly were good enough. I mean, it's not as though they weren't in this game against Honduras. Of course, one of the goals was... Very unfortunate. And yeah, Marcus, I mean, what were your initial thoughts, maybe emotions and feelings uh, after the U.S. was officially eliminated from Olympic contention? My thoughts, emotions and feelings was that it happened again. It's becoming all too familiar. Uh, I actually wrote on Nesson.com in 2012 about an Olympic size fail that uh, that that team put up uh, when they failed to qualify for the Olympics out of CONCACAF. In 2016, there was no slogan for it, but it was even less. And then uh, here we are in 2020 or 2021. And it's, you know, I almost have a uh, ritual for what to do when, uh, (laughs) you know, the U.S. men's national team, uh, either at the under 23 level or senior team, fails to qualify for an important for something important. I won't detail that ritual, but I did the ritual again. Uh, yeah, it, it, it happened again, <laughs> um, which is something that we've become all too familiar with, you know, yes. so in terms of, you know, an emotional reaction, uh, no, there was none. It was just general disappointment and followed by numbness uh, over something that I had actually had really high hopes for uh, because I thought uh, or, you know, we'd heard so much about the good work that's being done, churning out players, uh, young players 
you know, particularly in MLS academies and, you know, when it comes time to put up or shut up, once again, they shut up. So it exposes this gap between what we hear about, how good uh, young players produced in the United States are uh, versus the results. Uh, yeah, just, you know, disappointment is the uh, over overarching theme. Yeah, Marcus, I, I pretty much, I'm, I'm sure I share many of the same feelings as you. I also, you know, just mourned in my own way. But then I started to give serious thought as to why this should happen because, you know, we're not in the camps. We don't, you know, this roster, when it came out, there's a lot of just people on it that you don't really know about. And that's the way the rosters are for all the U23 squads in this competition, really. But um, I thought to myself, you know, why does this keep happening? Why are other countries, why is Honduras qualifying for four out of five Olympics? And, you know, you can't say that this competition doesn't matter in any way because look at the fields. I mean, Argentina and Brazil are going to be there. Germany and Spain and France are going to be there. Mexico is going to be there. Of course, Honduras will be there. Like, this is very legit soccer competition. All the players themselves that play in it, it's incredibly valuable experience going forward in their international careers. So I just kind of, I don't really get why either one, there seems to be a lack of priority when initially building the roster, but then also, you know, what make, like they kept referencing, you know, I watched all four of these matches. They kept referencing, you know, five players from the Real Salt Lake Academy and various MLS academies being represented. And I, Almost, I kind of double take. I'm like, is that necessarily a good thing? Nothing against the MLS academies, but shouldn't we be mixing in some player from an offshoot development within the United States that is just somehow grinded and demanded through like just sheer like effort and will a spot on this roster? And then in those practices and in those trainings leading up to the actual games, that player, or maybe it's a few players, are pushing everyone else because they compete in a section of soccer in the United States that's not MLS Academy, that is not so secure, and there's no safety net of, hey, you lose this competition, guess what? You're getting on a flight to Los Angeles, you're going to go rejoin your MLS club, and you're going to play your whole season, and everything's going to be fine, you know? And you're going to travel the United States playing soccer matches all summer. And it's really not a big deal to miss the Olympics other than, I guess, the embarrassment of it. But, you know, you flip it, you look at the Honduras side. I mean, I looked up some of those players, you know, they're on loan from Liga MX clubs. They're, you know, getting their first international experience and going to Tokyo competing in the Olympics could very well be the highlights of their careers and, you know, the most significant things they've done in their lives to date. And it would have been that for the U.S. U23 players as well. But something about the drop off of not doing that, I think just maybe just has this this lack of competition that takes place, like within the training itself. That it's like, you know, the, the motivation isn't there. They, they aren't finding that next level that, I don't, you know, not to be so cliche, but like that Mamba mentality, just like. 
bringing something out of you that you didn't realize you had in yourself. I mean, but um, would you expect that type of player to come out of, you know, if we agree that MLS academies are gobbling up the best talented, the most talented young players in the country, would you expect that grinder of a player to come out of somewhere else? Um, I wouldn't necessarily. And when we mm. get to the why this happened again, mm. you know, for me, it goes back to fundamental problems about the way Major League Soccer is structured. Uh, it's structured as a spring-summer league that runs from March or April through October, November. And you have, uh, let's say your team is knocked out of the playoffs early. You have November, December, January, and February off. That's four months. And this is something that I've been saying, you know, for at least 10 years, which is that players schooled in the United States, there are a lot of good young players, but when they reach the age of 16, 17, their development starts to stall at the same point where their competitors overseas, their development accelerates. Uh, yeah. Those players, particularly in Honduras, is another example where you have a lot of players who are playing at professional clubs and they're doing it 10 and a half months out of the year mm-hmm. instead of eight where these uh, American players are or these uh you know, these U.S. players are playing. Uh, So before we even get into, you know, what happened in the particular game or, uh, you know, if we're just talking about pure numbers in the amount of soccer that, you know, 100 age-eligible players are playing, the ones in Honduras are playing longer seasons in a, you know, say what you want about it, but a professional, at professional clubs, they're playing for money against grown men and, you know, when it comes down to these tournaments like these, it's just winning and losing soccer games. And you learn how to do that better in professional environments than you do. Um, I mean, MLS is a professional environment, but uh, there was, you know, I think you're on to something when you're talking about maybe uh, a bit of hunger that was missing and a bit of determination. Um, you know, most of these guys on this under 23 team are first, second year, third, maybe third year pros. Uh, so they're still learning how to be professional soccer players. They're not their fully formed mm-hmm. selves just yet. And uh, yeah, I think you get caught up. Um, another thing we'd be remiss to not mention would be that there are age eligible players that were playing. There were a bunch of them on the senior national team. But because the CONCACAF qualifying tournament took place outside of the uh, FIFA windows, uh, or most of the tournament did, clubs were under no obligation to release their players. Yeah. uh, A number of these age-eligible players are playing regular games at professional clubs, particularly in Europe. And, um, you know, so they weren't out. So the the U.S. was going with effectively a B or maybe a B-minus C-plus team. Um, some people would say it's a straight C team, uh, but you know when it came down to it, they went belly up against Honduras. And I watched the game against uh, the full game against Honduras, and most of the game against Mexico wasn't impressed by much of anything that I saw um, in terms of 
you know, quality. Oh, idea. absolutely intent, not. Intent, <laughs> intent with the ball. Uh, halfway through the Mexico game, I was just shaking my head like this, well, thinking this this isn't going to end well. And lo and behold, it didn't. I mean, it was very CONCACAF. <laughs> but also, you know, yeah, you're right, Marcus. And even going back to their first game, the Costa Rica game, and you could chalk some of this up to being the first competitive match this group of players had played together. But um, as we know, Costa Rica is, you know, as legitimate competition in CONCACAF as Honduras, as Jamaica, as Canada, and sometimes as good as Mexico. But the U.S. won that match one nothing. I watched that whole thing. Costa Rica had more opportunities, yeah. in my opinion. The United States kind of got lucky and, you know, one kind of rattled in there and they come out with the three points. But in the reality is if you end up with the draw and then you end up having to beat Mexico in the third match of the group stage, they might not have even been in the game against Honduras. But, you know, one last Yeah, thing. this wasn't a great team that was out there. They didn't play great soccer. Uh, it is I a question think- and – I, I want to, you know, I don't want to just, you know, go on a 45 minute rant about this, but the MLS, some players that were age eligible that are in MLS were not released, yeah. which is very confusing because especially for a league like MLS, which first of all, the season hasn't begun yet. And I understand these are high competition matches ahead of your season for a player that you you know want. But what about the idea that, you know, the MLS and, and soccer in the United States, we know how much, you know, marketing they're obsessed with. What about the idea that, like, you have a player that qualifies for the Olympics, potentially is going to be on that Olympic squad? That's like a summer long, you know, marketing campaign in and of itself. Like, U.S. Olympian Henry Kessler starting for the New, New England Revolution tonight. Like, that's something that will turn people's heads. So, the idea that you wouldn't release players. Makes no sense. I mean, MLS and U.S. soccer, I thought we're on the same page. And this is an indication to me that they really aren't, which is also something that you don't, you know, you hear about how much like the Bundesliga and the German national team are on the same page, um, or at least had gotten on the same page ahead of them winning the World Cup in 2014. You know, those things are important. And it's a kind of a big red flag for me that that seemed to have been something that wasn't you know, they weren't on the same page about. And I mean, yeah, Marcus, I'll let you say one more thing, but just going back to the competition, I think we all have to give ourselves a reality check sometimes. And I'll use the New England Revolution again as one example that Gustavo Bo and Carlos Heel on the New England Revolution, they're their two best players on the Revs and kind of compete as some of the best players in Major League Soccer. Neither one of them has capped for their national team. Bo is from Argentina. Heel is from Spain. Bo never even capped on a youth team. And Heel has one cap for a U21 team for Spain back in 2013. And it just goes to show you, like, these guys are very good soccer players. And they are so good because I believe they probably competed like crazy to try and get a cap for their national team and never were able to do so, but it did ultimately elevate them as professional soccer players. And, you know, now they're leaders on MLS clubs and having really fantastic careers. Uh, But it's a kind of motivation that I think there's a lot of us players never are challenged with that. And, you know, as a result, their overall 
development suffers. And that, saying, and that now I'm done with it. Are you <laughs> saying American players receive caps too easily? Yes. And I know you have talked about this and I'm not even, talk- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even talking about, you know, the like Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic, they were going to get caps, but you know, Jackson Ewell, should he be a captain of an Olympic qualifying team? I mean, that came. It's a great you know, goal he scored. It was a great goal. And he, he played as, and it, like, I, I don't blame the players on the field. It's, it's the program. You know, there's no single player that has ever done anything that makes me disapprove of them. I haven't been convinced by U.S. soccer as a program in my adult life. And, you know, I was only convincing them as a, as a kid because I was a big, you know, Landon Donovan fan. So, like, I didn't know anything. So they've never done anything to make me really believe that beyond just a pure talent of soccer player taking them to the next level, that the program is going to do something to elevate players beyond, you know, their talent level. <sighs> um, yeah, I there's this push and pull between the business and the financial aspect of Major League Soccer and USL. And uh, in terms of it being a league driven primarily by ticket sales in terms of its revenue and then the sporting aspect, uh, the way it organizes its competition, playing, uh, optimizing its soccer and the development of its players seems to have been, uh, I would say, arguably throughout the existence of MLS, taken a backseat to business considerations. And uh, mm-hmm. I think you're I, I think you see the long term results of that. Yeah. And it's something as simple as guaranteed contracts or uh, which I think are great for players, but uh, as simple as guaranteed contracts or playing a spring summer league instead of playing 10 months out of the year when, you know, you probably lose a bit more money. Yeah, I think uh, these are these are the fruits that uh, we have reaped. The one thing, and I guess this kind of transfers into our, uh, we're going to briefly speak about the men's national team and their friendlies, but the one thing that is going on more often, it appears, is that players are getting to European clubs as soon as possible. If that's through a family situation where they're able to get to Europe before turning 18, as many have done, Christian Pulisic is probably the biggest example, but also just on their 18th birthdays, signing contracts and getting over into European clubs and into training sessions on their 18th birthday, you know, and being as serious about it as possible. More and more players are doing that. And I think that that helps replace the lack of competition that we've been discussing, at least at the club, you know, when they're in their club teams, you know, when Josh Sargent is training with Werder Bremen, you know, that club competition is very serious and uh, he's not getting a misleading high number of goals for some MLS team. And I really don't mean to go down on MLS because I, I very much enjoy consuming it as a fan, but I think it, there is, you know, the kind of long-term things that it takes away from the national team. So as much as players can continue to get over to Europe and compete in high level, you know, competitions, and it does, I'm not even talking about playing for, you know, mega clubs. I'm talking about getting on to mid-level, low-level La Liga teams and Bundesliga and 
Syria and just being in competition and fighting for your spot and earning it. It's all part of becoming a better player. If it's given to you, I mean, it's really not even a soccer thing. If it's given to you, then you don't appreciate it. You didn't have to work hard enough for it. You didn't reach another level. And in long term, you know, it's detrimental. But having said that, the senior men's national team played two friendlies, one against Jamaica, one against Northern Ireland. Tough to understand exactly what we saw there because both Jamaica was fielding their B squad at best and Northern Ireland was pretty much fielding a B squad. They were in between two World Cup qualifiers, so they were not going to field their A squad for sure. But, you know, Christian Pulisic scored, Gio Reyna scored, Serginio Des scored. I think they just got a run out together. And it's good to see kind of that top talent all playing on the field at the same time. Weston McKinney was unable to be there. They they do seem to be trending in the right direction still, um, despite the the Olympic failure. Uh, That really didn't have much to do with the A squad. I don't know, Marcus, what'd you take away from the friendlies? It's still not the real team, um, although mm. we're starting to see uh, the elements of what the real team will look like. Uh, we're not going to see what the real A and B USA teams look like until we get to the June Nation League, Nations League uh, knockout games, and of course the Gold Cups, uh, the Gold Cup, which will then, you know, lead into well, not no longer the Olympics, but the uh, World Cup qualifying in September. Yeah, still tough to really get a read on this uh, on this team. There were, you know, they're still calling up players I've never heard of, uh, which, right. you know, I use as a good standard as to uh, what is it that we're actually watching out here. But I guess, you know, when they play these games against any competition, it's better to end up winning than uh, losing or drawing. Yeah, uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. And I think just to wrap up our USA soccer discussion, the only thing I'm wary of is pretty much that same point that we were talking about with the U23s is there does appear to be a lack of competition as far as the starting, the top 11 U.S. players, whoever you want to put out there. I think a lot of people for like the top seven or eight, they're going to be very similar. And that kind of scares me. Because, you know, Christian Pulisic has been at Chelsea now. He's been injured. He's been mainly out of lineups, sometimes in, in sometimes or mostly in during, you know, cup competitions and kind of unimportant matches, maybe. Certainly not the biggest matches. And also Giovanni Reina hasn't produced much for Dortmund lately. It's just like that's all going on. And there is zero talk of somebody coming up that is going to take the spot of either of those two or even push them and say in a U.S. soccer training camp and international window, X player is going to come in and Pulisic is going to have to show he's going to have to prove again. Hey, I am better than this guy. I am better than this challenger. And that's not going on. So it's a it's a little scary. I know there's a long time until World Cup qualifiers begin, and that's really the big test, and that's what it's all about. But, you know, I'm just – and the U23 is kind of that failure that they didn't 
qualify and that there doesn't seem to be anybody coming up to challenge. It's a scary thing because we saw what happened with the Michael Bradleys and the Josie Altadors when they had a decade of time where nobody really challenged them. So, I mean, that's that's my concern. So I I think I've entered a stage of just being forever skeptical of anything I see from the national team until they prove me otherwise. But Marcus, I, I enjoyed that. Honestly, I got a lot off my chest there. So I appreciate you and the listeners <laughs> hearing me out. Uh, but we wanted to move on to some club stuff uh, and Sergio Aguero and Manchester City. Um, and Marcus, you know much more about this than me. So, you know, what do you got for us? Sergio Aguero is leaving Manchester City. Uh, he'll leave this summer when his contract expires after uh, 10 years, 257 goals, uh, club record in uh, 384 appearances, including that game-winning goal in 2012 season, uh, the title-winning goal uh, that he scored against QPR. Uh, he's played a key role in City's four Premier League titles to date, won one FA Cup, five League Cups. Uh, he has been the Premier League's best goal scorer in terms of minutes, uh, goals scored per minutes per game, highest scoring foreign player in Premier League history. And uh, Man City's going to build him a statue. Uh, they've already commissioned it alongside, uh, it'll stand alongside David Silva's and Vincent Companies. Um, I think they should add a statue for Yaya Toure, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, he represents this glorious Man City era that started roughly 10 years ago. And uh, he was a big money, uh, he was a big money signing back in 2011. And I guess worth every single penny. Um, in terms of his departure, not much of a surprise. Um, I think he started maybe only four games this season. He's battled injuries, had a uh, knee problem last summer that really wrecked the first half of his season. Then he struggled to maintain his fitness uh, so far this campaign. So um, I got the sense that this was coming. Um, and so I'm not surprised by it at all. Uh, Aguero is one of City's highest paid players, and he is, I believe, 31, maybe 32 years old. And it's just looking like his time at the top is uh, is over. Um, so what happens to him next will be interesting to see. Uh, he's been linked with, of course, Barcelona. I'm sure Juventus will be sniffing around. And, uh, you know, I don't think a return to Argentina is in the cards. I think um, it's much more likely we'd see him in MLS than, uh, than in Argentina, but uh, he's going to have offers. Uh, he's a player that has shown that he can score, uh, you know, in big high pressure situations. Um, and, you know, we're seeing aging players maintaining their peak years just a little bit longer. Um, I think his departure from City will leave a, a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And so he'll be, wherever he goes, he'll have something to prove um, in addition to trying to play his way onto Argentina's 2022 World Cup squad. But yeah, I thought uh, Sergio Aguero, you know, they, Man City put out a statement on, I think it was Monday, um, that was just glowing about him and uh you know when 
a player has to, this is obviously going to be, um, there are no quotes that came from Aguero, but I think, you know, it's kind of bad news for him um, because he has, you know, made a home in Manchester for the last 10 years. So something's going to have to change for him. Um, and I think if you are pushing a player out of a club or, you know, you just make the decision that, hey, we're not going to extend your contract and next season uh, we're not going to be, you're not going to be here. Uh, if there is a way to push out a club legend, this is how to do it. Uh, so kudos to Man City. Yeah, the main thing uh, I think about with Sergio Aguero is, of course, the, as you said, the the era that Manchester City um, has been on and this run they've been on. Uh, you look at Aguero and it's like that is the kind of culture trend-setting type of player, um, cornerstone, I guess you'd say, type of player. And I know there's been tons of money and uh, millions of different things that have gone into Manchester City's success, but ultimately only 11 guys play. And, um, you know, all all the success in the world uh, that Manchester City has experienced, uh, you know, Sergio Aguero deserves – as much credit as anybody else. Yeah, and the fact um, that they were able to hold on to him. I mean, you know, Aguero undoubtedly has been the target of many clubs, you know, the biggest clubs yeah. in their uh, transfer dealings over the years. But, you know, being able to hold on to him and then let him go on their terms is that just shows where Man City stands in, uh, you know, certainly in today's uh, pecking order. Um, you know, they sign. So what? Where does Aguero then rank, you think, among just the best ever strikers in the uh, Premier League? I mean, he existed at a time of, uh, you know, the Mosula super season. And, um, but yeah, I mean, what do you uh, think? He's, he's way up at the very top. Uh, boy, you know, I would think uh, only Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry can really. Uh, are in the same conversation with Aguero. Um, I don't have the numbers mm-hmm. ahead of me. I know Shearer is the Premier League's all-time leading scorer, and Thierry Henry was arguably the best player. Um, and I'm putting, uh, I guess if I had to have a Mount Rushmore Premier League strikers, Aguero would be on it uh, comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, I mean, as we said, I mean, Manchester City is certainly – sitting pretty these days, uh, but who kind of steps in? I mean, who has been scoring the goals for Manchester City? And Well, Gabriel, will there be a major replacement? Well, yeah, that's really the key question, is that who replaces Aguero? Because Gabriel Jesus has had roughly about three seasons plus to prove that he could be City striker for the next 10 years, and given the rumors, the names they're linked with, uh, that suggests that uh, Jesus is going to somebody, another big name is going to arrive and Jesus is going to be that mm-hmm. uh, Swiss army knife of a forward or their kind of one B uh, striker that, um, you know, you just don't depend on him to score you 30 goals a season um, or to, you know, to, right. to be the main center forward on a premier league or possibly champions league winning club. Um 
So the names that have come out uh, in recent days, there are two on which uh, I'd like to focus. One, Tottenham's Harry Kane. And two, Erling Brute Holland, who's at uh, Ah, Borussia Dortmund. And should City land one or both of these strikers, um, you know, we're really going to see what the uh the what the pull is of this project that they built uh pep guardiola staying for a few more years so they have that as a uh, recruiting tool man city's facilities are second to none um so and of course they are you know backed by the uh sovereign wealth fund of the united arab emirates uh they have all the money in the world so it'll be interesting i think um you know, to buy either of these strikers, you're looking at, you know, roughly an investment of 150 million British pounds. But we don't know what the transfer market is going to look like Goodness. in this uh, post-pandemic world. Uh, we don't know right. how the finances, uh, how the financial, what kind of financial hit Man City are taking. But I think uh, they are going to make some kind of statement this summer by signing, uh, you know, Harry Kane being outside of Robert Lewandowski, probably the world's leading number nine. Uh, he's roughly 27 years old. He's been at Tottenham for ages. Um, I don't know how close he is to becoming Tottenham's record goal scorer, uh, but I think he's number two right now. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if Harry Kane stayed for another season beyond this one. Erling Brute Holland is showing that uh, he's ready to step up to the very top of uh, the club game. Dortmund is struggling right now. Uh, he is their prized asset and would probably command a fee. He has a uh, 75 million uh, pound release clause that goes into effect in 2022. Um, I don't think, you know, I think if Man City or any other club came in in 2021, offering less than 150 million uh they're getting laughed out of the room so um it'll be very interesting to see who uh who replaces aguero because um i don't see man city uh kind of waiting a year or even six months for the player they want uh i think they'd be more likely to go out and spend for the player they want now so that'll be very interesting to watch yeah i mean the Either one of those, Kane or Holland, would be very interesting. It makes me think that Holland is the more likely choice because he's younger and kind of seemingly, I would imagine, going to be better than uh, Harry Kane in the next few years as he just continues to um, produce every game he plays in. But uh, Marcus, you brought up Robert Lewandowski, and that kind of ties into our games of the weekend. Because my game of the weekend is Leipzig taking on Bayern Munich. That will be at 12.30 p.m. on Saturday on ESPN2. And uh, Lewandowski suffered an injury uh, during this international window. And he's going to be out seemingly at least a month. I'm seeing eight weeks by some reports. Uh, But he's going to miss the Champions League quarterfinals, both legs versus PSG. And he'll miss, of course, this weekend's match against Leipzig, which is significant because Leipzig trails Bayern by only four points. 
in the Bundesliga with 10 matches to go. And it's kind of uh, Leipzig's, you know, if they were to lose this match, uh, the race kind of goes away. If they win the match, they trail Bayern by one point. Um, and, you know, Bayern has dropped some points throughout the Bundesliga season. And coming out of the international window with Lewandowski down, I, you know, you can't get him in a better spot, I feel like. But at the same time, it's Bayern, and something tells me they'll batten down the hatches and take care of business um, against Leipzig. But I'll be watching with great interest Saturday at twelve thirty. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I've been burned so many times with uh, you know the Bundesliga. You know, team Bayern's would be rivals going right. up against them in a big big game and then being swept aside. Um, can't guarantee that I'll be watching as well. Uh, but what I will be watching, which will be on Saturday, I believe, uh, Arsenal versus Liverpool. You can catch that 3 p.m. It'll be on NBCSN. Uh, this is a game that once was one of those, uh, you circle it on your calendars, uh, you know, for Premier League fans, can't miss uh, goals galore. Uh, that's not the case now. Liverpool's, uh, they've been struggling throughout 2021. Arsenal, don't get me started on them. Um, but Arsenal's champ- Champions League hopes are on life support. Liverpool's are slightly better. Um, this is a game that I think neither team can really afford to lose. Uh, and it'll be tough to really predict what will happen because coming out of an international break, you don't know who uh, who's going to be available, who's going to be fit, who's rested who's tired, Uh, you know, so these games, the weekend after the international break are often uh, full of surprises. So uh, yeah, I'll be watching just to see what surprises me. Yeah. I'll probably uh, catch some of that one too, Marcus, but I want to thank you for joining me today. And I want to thank you for letting me vent to you about us soccer. I tried to reel it in as much as possible, but uh, (laughs) It was basically a therapy session. Uh, But uh, to all the listeners out there, thank you for joining us. Uh, If this happened to be your first podcast, continue to join us, please, by following along on iTunes and Spotify. Just search Nesson Soccer Podcast in those platforms. You can also find us at Nesson.com slash podcast. Um, Marcus, good afternoon and uh, enjoy soccer this weekend. I read out why I tell you so.